Good afternoon. Happy Wednesday. This is Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. I just did the change over here in the studio with William Liu of the Raptors show. First time this week he hasn't asked me to come in and do a couple minutes before I do my own new show. Uh, but he pointed out correctly that not only have the Toronto Blue Jays not lost since Jay's Talk Plus started, they haven't even lost since Jay's Talk Plus got announced last week. The Blue Jays win 6-5 to five last night. It's their sixth in a row, eighth of the last 11, tenth of the last 13. They're up to 28 and 20, second in the AL East. Every team in the AL East, 5-5 five and five over their last 10, except for the Blue Jays, who are 8-2. and two. So they made up some ground that clears some ground behind them. And yeah, they're 15-7 and seven in one-run games. Maybe it won't sustain, but they all count. And hey, the run differential is all the way back up to a nice neutral zero. So the Jays at least don't have the, the negative in that column when you're checking out their, their Pythag win-loss or anything like that. Uh, the one-run games they've won are in their pocket. They don't take them away when regression happens. So be happy about them. Last night was a fun one. Uh, not the game we necessarily expected between Lucas Giolito and Kevin Gosman. You'd say both of them probably had their worst start of the season. Um, Gosman, hey, Andrew Vaughn has that guy's number. Andrew Vaughn almost goes for the cycle off Kevin Gosman, adds a fourth hit later in the game uh, as well. Gosman had some trouble getting the splitter down to the bottom of the zone. The ball was kind of just flying at Rogers Center as it was. A great interview with Kevin Gosman, by the way, on the Blair and Barker podcast um, and the Blair and Barker show this morning, but it's available on the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Gosman using the line, expectations are not excuses. Um, good one there. So Kevin Gosman doesn't have a great start. How did the Jays come out with this one? Well, Alejandro Kirk. Hits a pair of bombs. Bo jumps all over a changeup once again for an extra base hit. Teoscar Hernandez has his first multi-extra base hit game of the season. Uh, we're going to get into the Teoscar stuff with Julia Kreutz uh, momentarily here, but the ball was jumping off Teoscar's bat in a way that we haven't seen yet this season. Uh, nice little turnaround, all things considered, uh, from what the first two months of the season have looked like, which has been a lot of the starting pitching picking up the slow bats. Uh, nice to see a little turnaround. Kevin Gosman doesn't have his best start and the bats, especially the bats later down the lineup through the middle and the bottom, uh, pick them up. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Less so. We're going to talk about him with uh, Drew Fair Service at 3.30 and we're going to talk about him again, I'm sure, with Ben Ennis at 4.30. We've also got Keith Law on today at 4 o'clock. It's Keith Law's birthday. It's a big birthday you know, it's a Jay's Talk Plus celebration week because not only is it Keith Law's birthday today, but uh, my producer, Jared Manitad, is going to be off for the next couple days because his birthday's on Monday. Uh, we've also got Andrew Holland filling in on the board today. Uh, so thank you to those guys. A lot of birthdays. We'll, we'll celebrate a little bit with Keith Lee, but we're mostly going to celebrate Gabriel Moreno having a 922 OPS for May and knocking on the door of the major leagues as Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen both play pretty well. We're also going to ask Keith Lee... Hey, the back of the Jays bullpen looks a little dicey. They DFA'd Ryan Barucki yesterday, which opens up a spot on the 40 man. What's the deal with Adrian Hernandez? What's the deal with the funky supinated delivery on that changeup? And is it de deceptive enough for a low to mid 90s fastball to play at the next level? Uh, we're also going to talk about Ricky Tiedemann, who eight starts over A and promoted to high A has a whopping 62 strikeouts in 40 innings so far this year. Uh, really excited to have Keith on here on the first week of Jay's Talk Plus. Uh, keep your texts coming in. 
We'll sprinkle them throughout the show where we can. You can text into 590-590, or you can tweet at me, at Blake Murphy ODC, or DM me. Uh, I've been keeping all the ones we don't get to in a big file, uh, so we can get to them later. Obviously, we've loaded up on guests these first few days. Uh, but tomorrow... Jays Talk Plus is in the two to three slot, not a full two hours because the Jays and White Sox close their series out at 307 down at Rogers Center. Uh, so we'll do a little bit of a on the fan morning show. We always do a text line Tuesday. We're going to do a little text line Thursday on Jays Talk Plus uh, tomorrow. So keep those questions coming in. Keep those <laughs> keep those comments coming in. Someone just uh, alerted me that I said Keith Lee, not Keith Law. A little bit of wrestling brain for you. I haven't done a wrestling brain on this show yet, but you know it's coming and you know... Uh, you know, double or nothing was not too far from my mind as I teed up Keith Law as limitless Keith Lee. Keith Law also limitless, um, but that's at four o'clock. Right now, joining us uh, from down at Rogers Center, Julia Kreutz, writer for MLB.com and our tour guide to Charlie Montoyo's office. Julia, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Blake. Um, so I know you've written other things since then, but I want to go back to it because I haven't <laughs> had a chance to talk to you. Give us the kind of audio tour here of what exactly is going on in Charlie Montoyo's office. Yeah, the, the whole experience actually starts even before you go into the office, right? You're usually uh, going into the clubhouse, getting ready to talk to Charlie, talk to a couple of the players pregame, and uh, you hear the salsa, and it's obviously <laughs> a uh, uh, some sort of uh, vinyl, but then the percussion is live, and then you realize, oh, okay, Charlie's playing music as well as <laughs> listening to music. Uh, and then when you go in, it's uh, it's really an ode to Latin music and to his heritage, where he's from. You know, there's instruments everywhere, signed posters of uh, of his favorite artists. Uh, he says that he's a fan of uh, of meeting of meeting musicians way more. He says than uh, <laughs> than meeting ball players, which I understand. You know, uh, it's it's his passion and whatnot. So. It's uh, it's really a unique experience uh, to to be in an office like that and and talk baseball in that type of environment. Uh, for me, you know, I come from Brazil. I've been in Toronto for four years now. It is kind of being transported a little bit um, back home in <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Brazil because the only comparison for the way you describe Charlie's office that I can think of is when Lucas Nogueira was on. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, he was te- he was learning uh, to play bass. He was going out and doing some shows sometimes. And he all he ever wanted to talk about uh, was music. So nice little connection there. Uh, and hey, I know that sometimes people maybe think, you know, you, you get the, the people who wrongly think, oh, well, when the ball club's not playing well or the basketball team's not playing well, you shouldn't be doing all your social things and you shouldn't be, you know, out at the movie theater having fun. Uh, hey, no one's saying that when you've won six in a row. I'd imagine the vibes are pretty good down at Rogers Center right now. I know you were in the, the Sox, you were on White Sox duty yesterday, um, but has the feeling gotten lighter around the team? Because I know they were they were tight for a little bit there. Yeah, that's um, obviously, you know, if you win six in a row, everything will seem lighter. The pressure eases up. We know that this team puts a tremendous amount of pressure on themselves. Um, But that is also the beauty of the Blue Jays is that they don't let themselves really be down for long. Um, And we were talking about, you know, Montoyo's office and the whole piece that I wrote on it. He is the one that, that really puts the emphasis on win or lose, we're going to be the same. I don't want to pass on any stress to my players and the players don't want to pass on any stress to each other. And, and I think that that is really uh, something special about this clubhouse. They don't let 
the bad energy linger for too long. And conversely, they're not resting on their laurels either, right? So you're not going to see a team that is euphoric or that is um, relaxed because they've won six in a row. Other than the uh, the showers that Vlad is... By the way, Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s aim on these water cooler dumps is terrible. You, I, I hope... I know you guys are usually in the clubhouse, not on the field, but just heads up if you're ever out there after a game. Um, that's the only real celebratory part. So a part of this turnaround and a, a, part, a huge part of the win yesterday, Alejandro Kirk with two homers yesterday. The Jays are now up to second in Fangraph's wins above replacement uh, from the catcher position. They're also in second in terms of weighted runs created plus from the catcher position. Uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know that, that kind of takes all your offensive contributions and adjusts for some things like variance and park factors and things like that um, to try to put everyone on a scale out of 100. And the Jays catchers have been about 25% better than league average, not just for catchers, but in general. Um, Julia, how how are they going to make sure that both of these guys are getting enough time in the lineup moving forward because I I know generally managers are are a little hesitant to have both their catchers in the lineup because it means one is taking up the DH spot and if you lose your catcher etc but Kirk and Jansen have been two of their best hitters so far this year they have and uh, I think that a a good start was uh, optioning Zach Collins right if you have two of the best catchers in the American League right now Maybe you don't need a third a third catcher in the roster. So I think that we start there. Um, it's true that Kirk and Jansen have been uh, spectacular. And what do you do, right, when you have that type of a good problem um, at that position? We saw that when Kirk maybe had to play uh, the field every day a little more because Danny Jansen was um, injured, his production dwindled a little bit. And so because obviously it is a wear and tear position, right? There's a lot that goes into playing catcher every day. And so now that he has the opportunity to be in the DH spot, maybe a little more, what we're seeing is vintage old school Alejandro Kirk, just uh, over 300 batting average, um, really good at bats all game long. He doesn't strike out a lot. And then Danny Jansen is just, he's been on a tear. I honestly can't say enough good things about his game and and his plate approach. So, yeah, it, it is a type of problem that it's going to have to be on a daily basis, sort of the decisions that you're going to make there. It is hard to see these two guys uh, in the lineup together every game because, like you said, you know, the, the, taking the DH position there, it's a, it is a, a bit complicated, but it's a, a good problem for the Blue Jays to have. Yeah. Now, I am interested in uh, what's going to happen when a guy like Gabriel Moreno finally gets the call up, because we know that that's coming. He is just scorching hot in AAA right now. And then that's going to add a new layer to to the Blue Jays' decisions at catcher. So it's uh, that's certainly one of the most intriguing storylines to watch for this team right now. Tonight and tomorrow could be an interesting look at how the Jays plan to handle this in the short term and how Charlie Montoyo plans to deploy them. Because Kirk Homer's twice yesterday – you don't come out of the lineup after a two home run game very often, but Danny Jansen has more often than not caught Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, and then you have a day game after a night game tomorrow where you probably don't want Jansen catching both of them, or, or generally that's where teams uh, use a spot to get a guy um, a, a day off. So, you know, whether Kirk's in a DH or not is, a, is an interesting question tonight. I know we don't have the lineup card out uh, quite yet, 
but we'll get that later in the show. You mentioned Gabriel Moreno, Julia. He finishes May with a 922 OPS. He only strikes out 11 times for the entire month. What do you think, like, like, is he at a point now where he's shown enough and you're just waiting for an opportunity? Or is there still more to his game and his growth that we need to see before, you know, he's a lock to be on this major league roster at some point? Yeah, what we think for the Blue Jays um, when it comes to call-ups is they tend to be a little careful, a little more conservative, picking their spots. And it's not a knee-jerk reaction to anything, maybe that's the best way to put it. Um, Moreno's power is just now sort of, translating into the AAA level. If you want to be nitpicky about it, you know, he didn't homer for the first time until uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that is something that is supposed to be a big part of his game. Obviously, the extra base hits are still there. The numbers do speak for themselves, but maybe he would benefit from uh, a few more weeks just to really get settled in and and, and get that power sorted before he can start um, facing major league pitchers. But again, this is this is just being nitpicky. I, I feel like uh, a promotion for Moreno is uh, extremely close at this point. I hope so because he's he's a lot of fun to follow. He's a lot of fun to track, and obviously the Jays, you know, right now they're carrying the extra pitcher that the the adjusted rules for this year allow you to, and they've needed that certainly in the last little bit. But eventually, Charlie Montoya might want a, a fourth guy on that bench. Um, you know, Kevin Biggio back up, and, and he can play a lot of positions, and Bradley Zimmer's there as well. But, um, you know, he's, he could probably use that. So one thing that came up in talking to Ben Nicholson-Smith early in the, earlier in the week on this show is that, hey, what if you got Moreno some reps at another position? And he's played third a tiny bit. He's played first a tiny mm-hmm. bit. But Ben threw out the idea of playing him in left. Now, that would make some sense the way things looked a week or so ago, but suddenly you have Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hitting again, and we know how hot and streaky he can get. And last yeah. night, for the first time really this season, Teoscar Hernandez looks like himself again. Uh, what did you see from Teoscar last night in, in that bit of a breakout game for him? Yeah, this is uh, this is what we're used to from Teoscar, right? And, and kind of what he had to start the year, the, the, the first game opening day against the Rangers, we know how clutch he was. And then production sort of got lost there for a little bit. He did handle, you know, some time with an injury. And now it seems like he's uh, he's coming back into his own. And it all comes back to, to plate approach, right? Are you chasing pitchers outside, uh, ch- chasing pitches outside of the zone? Are you picking your spots? Are you, um, really looking for the pitch that you can drive, that you can do something with, especially with runners in scoring position. And the more he gets those reps and the more he gets those big hits, uh, the more sort of he gets the monkey off his back a little bit, right? And, and he's not looking to hit absolutely everything or like George Springer put it last month, you know, uh, um, hit five run home runs with nobody on base <laughs> it's uh it's natural right if you're going through a slump you want to get out of it as soon as possible and um what i saw from chaoscar yesterday was patience it was a guy who was actually seeing the pitches really well and uh, choosing his moments really well which is exactly what the blue jays need him to be because the talent and the power are there and the 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 chance to be a difference maker exists every single game when he's at his best 
it goes without saying that the, the Jays need Teoscar Hernandez to be Teoscar Hernandez, but I wonder the trickle-down effect, him figuring things out and getting back on the right track could have. We saw while he was hurt and then while he was struggling, Charlie Montoyo juggled the lineup a little bit to try to, you know, maybe shake things loose, maybe get some things going. Yesterday we saw, you know, the more typical Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, Teoscar layout that, that Charlie's preferred more often than not. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero has a, an 0 for 5 game, and after you know, a brief blip there with a couple extra base hits. It looks like this is still part of his kind of extended slump. How much do you think Teoscar Hernandez getting going can help Vlad by giving him that little bit of, you know, whether you consider it lineup protection or, or just a guy who's going to let Vlad see an extra fastball or two here and there? Yeah, what it does is, it, is it, in a way, it lengthens the high risk that is this Blue Jays lineup. Right, say Oscar Hernandez is not someone that uh, you should take lightly. He is at this point a perennial silver slugger. Okay. He's an all-star. He's a guy that is heating up. And so, but what that does to Vlad, for Vladdy is that pitchers are actually going to have to face him. And we know that when Vladdy is going and when he gets his pitches, he has the ability to do great things. And and that's what a guy like Hernandez getting hot, or even even Alejandro Kirk. Um, right to a certain extent, it, what it does is it frees up Flagger Jr. to be himself a little bit more and uh, not get pitched around so much. So not only does it help Flatty, it helps the Blue Jays a great deal on the offensive side. When all the bats are going together, we saw last year what that can look like over bigger stretches. And part of the story of last year was you know, it, almost the opposite of the way this year's been where, hey, they're 15 and seven in one run games and they're eight games above 500, even though they've scored evenly with their opponents. Last year, it, their expected win loss based on the run differential was something like 99 wins. And a lot of that was because they would hammer teams. They would they would weren't in a lot of one run games in general. They've already been in 23 this year um, or 22. Rather, they were in 30 all of last year. Um, so the amount of one run games they're playing is way higher in part because the offense hasn't quite been there, but Julia, they've pulled out 15 of those 22 one, one run games. They've already matched last year's total for wins in those situations. What are they doing right in those tight, tight games? They've won four one run games in a row. It's only the third time in franchise history that's happened. What are they doing uh, so well to, to pull out those close ones? I would say, you know, in addition to the occasional hero on the offensive side, their pitching has been phenomenal for the most part. This, this is a bullpen that has a lot of reliable arms that are ready to come in and really lock things down. Adam Simber has been phenomenal this year. Uh, there's no picking and choosing with him. You know, he's a side armor who sees left-handed hitters all the time. He's a right-handed pitcher, and, and he's just and he's seeing and getting left-handed hitters out, and that's uh, – that's really not something that's that common. You have a guy like Trevor Richards who had a tough going yesterday, but for the most part has been really reliable. And then obviously Jordan Romano, right? Mm. The best closer in baseball. We've heard Charlie Montoyo say it time and time again for a reason. Um, hitters just can't figure out his fastball slider combo. And, and that's really what's been the difference maker is that the, the Blue Jays, even though the offense has faltered sometimes this, uh, pitching core has been tremendous and you know Simber I spoke to him last week or a couple of weeks ago and he said look that's just what we do right? this is a team game and uh, we'll see that we're not going to be this pitching core is not going to be perfect all year and usually when we falter it's the offense that comes and saves us so 
So these these bats have uh, bailed us out a lot in the past as well. And, and that's a really nice, uh, to me, it's, it's a really beautiful way to see it, right? It's not like hmm. the, the, the pitchers are patting themselves on the back and saying, hey, look, we're winning these games. It's very much a collaborative effort. And, and, and that's also a secret to long-term success here for sure. Julia, I don't want to put you on the. We haven't done a lot of betting content on this show, and, and I don't know how much we will end up doing, but I have a prop bet for you tonight. I just looked outside, and I can see that it's raining. I walked into the studio today. Um, over under two and a half times, your colleague Keegan Matheson complains about the humidity tonight. Oh, my God. I will pound you over on that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, looks like it's going to be a, a dome-closed one, at least the way the weather is right now. Uh, Julia, yeah. hope it's not too humid in there and hope you can kind of put headphones in if Keegan gets on about it. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time today. And, uh, yeah, I'll you. catch you later in the week. Well, I'll be down there Saturday. So, Thank you very much. Good luck with everything, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Uh, it was Julia Kreutz, MLB.com uh, writer. Give her a follow on Twitter as well, um, at Julia C. Kreutz, that's K-R-E-U-Z. Um, yeah, covering the team along with Keegan Matheson for BlueJays.com. Uh, she had the road team duties yesterday, so she was on White Sox side of things. And hey, the White Sox side of things is not great right now. They're missing a lot of players. Tim Anderson on the aisle with a groin injury. Luis Robert was activated yesterday, but they didn't play him. It sounds like he's going to DH today, but we don't have a lineup yet. Uh, and then... A handful of other things. Aloy Jimenez uh, on a rehab assignment. Juan Moncada has sat the last four games after being activated from the IL. Uh, it seems he's not 100% yet. And then Dylan Cease and Kendall Graveman not here due to their vaccination status. Uh, so in addition to Graveman, um, the White Sox also had two relievers in Lopez and, and Bummer go 20-plus pitches yesterday. So uh, a bullpen that's already been pretty shaky on the year could be a little thinner as we head into today. This is also the start of Pride Month, by the way. So happy Pride. Um, celebrate that. If you're around Rogers Center this weekend, most of the month, but especially this weekend, uh, you'll see lots of Pride Month activations around the stadium uh, in the game ops and things like that. I mentioned it off the top, but a reminder, uh, Kevin Gosman was on Blair and Barker today. So go check that out, uh, the Blair and Barker show, wherever you get your podcast. It was an excellent, excellent interview. Uh, keep the texts coming as well, 590-590, or you can tweet or DM them to me and I'll save them in a file. We'll do a little text line Thursday. Tomorrow, we'll sprinkle some in throughout the show today. Uh, we had one person who didn't sign their name, but they texted in, hey, that means they're 500 in two-run games or, or multi-run games. And that's true. They're eight games over 500. When uh, the game, when it's a one-run game, it, they're eight games over 500 overall. That means they're they're dead even in the larger scoring games. It's a, once again, it's a, it's quite the reverse of last year, where they were exactly 500 in one-run games, and then they blew a lot of teams out. Uh, if the bats continue to heat up, you've got Alejandro Kirk in the middle, Teoscar Hernandez maybe on the right foot. Uh, by the way, Teoscar Hernandez hit three balls with an exit velocity of 100 miles an hour or more yesterday. Um, Whatever you feel about the exit velocity stat, uh, still a great sign that those were three of his 15 hardest hit balls all season, all in one game. Uh, he had a home run. He nearly missed another. He had a loud out. Very good game for Teoscar Hernandez. Nice to see. And yes, Lourdes Gurriel is heating up as well. We're going to take a break here on Jay's Talk Plus. When we come back and talk to my pal, former colleague of mine, uh, Drew Fairservice. He hosts the Spin Raid podcast with Caitlin McGrath and Ricky Romero. 
We're going to talk about last night's game and we're going to tee up some of tonight's game. But Drew Fairservice told me yesterday, I asked him, hey, you you down to do a little Jays trivia, a little Jays history? And he said, quote, I was born to remember some guys. So we'll remember some Blue Jays with Drew Fairservice next on Jays Talk Plus, Sports F590, The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. The Toronto Blue Jays face the Chicago White Sox again tonight. 707 first pitch. Ben Wagner on the call on the Sportsnet Radio Network on the game on Sportsnet Television as well. Of course, uh, still no lineup yet. We'll keep an eye on that for you. Uh, Yesterday it came out right around 4 o'clock. So we'll see. We'll see what it looks like. It looked pretty good yesterday as the Blue Jays won 6-5, their sixth win in a row. To help us sort through what's going right and as he's wont to do, uh, what's going right despite maybe some poor process underneath it. It's the host of the Spin Ray podcast with Caitlin McGrath and Ricky Romero, Drew Fairservice. Drew, what's up, man? Blake, it is so good to talk to you today. It's wonderful. I've, I've missed you. We haven't, haven't run into each other at the park yet. I don't, are you still playing on Jonah's like actual baseball team where I can come watch you catch a couple innings? No, I play in a men's league in Guelph now. Shout out oh, to the Royal City Baseball League. So the I have region. a game in, in just but a few hours, in fact. Wow. You're going up uh, against the Ryu Kopech battle. I'm not, I'm not sure there'll be a lot of eyeballs on yours. There don't deserve to be any, quite frankly. It's a rebuilding season for the Brewers, let me tell you. Oh, no. Um, okay, Drew, so we're going to talk a lot of Jay's stuff, but I have a question for you first. Our, our guy, C. Trent Rosencrans at The Athletic, talked to Tommy Pham about all this nonsense that's going on with him and Jock Peterson around the Fantasy League. Uh, we don't need to rehash that and, and arbitrate whether Jock was in the right or the wrong with his IL stash, but within that piece, Tommy Pham calls Mike Trout the worst commissioner in sports. What is your worst like fantasy commissioner story? Like what is it where you just kind of roll your eyes at, at the nonsense being run? Like this is a guy who's in baseball, who's in a league run by Rob Manfred and he calls Mike Trout the worst commissioner in sports. That's a high bar. Have you had anything happen to you that matches that kind of bar? I would say that I'm generally pretty sympathetic towards commissioners because I think it is a thankless job often um there's nothing worse to me than when people are like overcomplicating, especially the draft process um i can all i would also say that i can imagine mike trout being a terrible fantasy <laughs> commish um because mike trout is the kind of guy for which there is only one team in the nfl right like i can't see him being super engaged if it has it has nothing to do with the eagles like he is he is uh, fly eagles fly in a way that that it, it just it, it makes the fact that he plays for the Angels of all teams so funny, like the most kind of dispassionate, like not a huge rabid fan base. And like here's Mike Trout, this maniac for the Eagles. So I don't know who's in the right or wrong, but I'm gonna go ahead and assume that Mike Trout is in fact a terrible fantasy commissioner. I could see that for sure. And and you know, he's probably whatever the the IR and waiver wire rules, he's probably got Gardner Minshew like hiding in a secret spot somewhere on his team. Uh Eagles not the not the most fruitful fantasy team of late. Uh it's nice that you're sympathetic with Mike Trout though. Um by the way, <laughs> one of my favorite Mike Trout stories that I've ever read was when you broke down um for the my approach series 
that you used to do uh, at the place we both worked together prior. Um, obviously, learning what makes Mike Trout Mike Trout is fascinating. Um, Drew, that whole series was was awesome where you talk to guys or, or talk to teammates about what makes a certain guy special and kind of it really highlighted how unique hitters are hitter to hitter. It's not one size fits all for approach at the plate. Um, I, I bring that up because to I'm going to answer the question for you. I, I kind of feel like the guy that you'd most want to talk to on this Blue Jays team, if you were still doing that series, is it Alejandro Kirk? It would be really interesting to learn about what Kirk does because he has kind of, um, it's a really unique skill set, right? And, and, a, you know, he he's so good on, in particular, like pitches up and in, which I think probably has a, lot, a little bit to do with the way that he looks, right? His physique, I, you can't help but think that a big league pitcher looks at him and thinks, <laughs> I can get my fastball up and in on him. But Kirk is able to turn those pitches into base hits all the time. But it's that A, like super high contact approach, as well as B, like a really, really strong sense of the strike zone, as you can see in the fact that he doesn't really strike out that much, doesn't walk uh, very often, or sorry, doesn't doesn't swing and miss, and and has still a really uh, a high walk rate. So it would be it would be really interesting. At the same time, in in some ways, a guy like that is, you know, he has the the again maybe I'm doing what I accuse the pitchers of doing, which is kind of looking at him and looking at the package more than the results. But like he has a real just kind of like fall out of bed and hit kind of vibe. Um, which is probably 100% inaccurate, right? There's so much work that goes in and being able to prepare and understand what they're going to try to do with you when you are a hitter like Alejandro Kirk, who does have that unique skill set. So yeah, it would be really, really interesting to to learn what he does in the cage and and what kind of video prep he does and what is he looking at and and just really what does he key in on? Because that was, you know, uh, thank you for saying such nice things about that work I did. And, you know, uh, it's always interesting to hear what, what, is, what it is that some guys focus on. You know, Miguel Cabrera, the big thing I always remember was he was really focused on what they did pitchers would do when they had runners on scoring position in scoring position so if they were really trying to bear down what did they go down to did they did they dump all pitches except for their best two were they going for the strikeout were they trying to get the ball in play that sort of stuff that was what kind of made miguel cabrera tick and and it would be really interesting to know um for me who doesn't get into the clubhouse anymore um what it is that that goes into kirk's whole process yeah and you said you know some guys fall out of bed and just hit and it's true hitters hit but the thing that stands out to me most is I mean, you can't really. You can try to quantify no wasted, no wasted plate appearances. But for me, it's the criminally low strikeout rate. Like we're talking. Um, I think it was Chris Black at Down to Black on Twitter posted uh, a list the other day of catchers twenty three and under, or up to the end of their age twenty three season uh, in recent baseball history, like the last thirty years. And the only catcher with a better strikeout profile than Kirk was Jason Kendall, who is like legendarily like if he came along five years later he would have been the key piece of the Moneyball book instead of scott hatterberg you know like like jason kendall was the strike zone manager walk guy and alejandro kirk is in that kind of territory um if not kirk then who who else would you be interested i i'm curious your take on whether vlad would be kind of a simple one um, because he can just kind of hit everything, or if that actually makes it more complex because something like, hey, what Vlad struggled with this last month is laying off stuff you can hit in favor of stuff you can drive. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And and talking to Vlad would be really interesting. Vlad Vlad is almost like, probably almost a little bit too good. Not not unlike Mike Trout. You know, as you mentioned, I talked to Trout twice for the for two different entries in that in that series no big deal. back in the day. And but like my chart is the worst interview in the world. Lovely, you know, <laughs> nice enough guy, but it's just like it's not on a 
it's not as a cerebral sort of thing. Like he's just such a freak who, who works hard, right? We've seen with Mike Trout over the years, figure out how people are attacking him and then adjust to it. But that's, it's just not normal. And that was the thing that other, all his teammates kept coming back to like the stuff he does isn't normal. And then it's, it's like Vlad, right? When Vlad's going well, which we saw, you know, obviously for all of last year and at, at parts of this season, the stuff he does isn't normal. But for me, a guy who I would really be interested to learn about a little bit more is Bo Bichette, because I really love his like power to the other field when he when he's going well and we saw it at the beginning of the season last year maybe he took a little bit advantage of some of the kind of jet streamy uh bandboxy <laughs> properties at in Dunedin but he was just really driving the ball to right center field and something you can see sometimes he'll go up there and that is his not only is that's not plan a it's plan b as well he's de- bound and determined to go the other way and i think that that would be it would be interesting to to understand from Bo Bichette's perspective when and why he he comes up to the, up to the plate with that plan in mind uh, because again he is such a skilled hitter and, and it's a bit of still a little bit unconventional but you know at the end of the day he he hitters hit like you said and he's done that his entire career it's especially interesting because some guys like that who come up aggressive and, and are looking for um, you know to take stuff the other way it's more the fastball the other way and, and what you know I've heard a couple guys talk about well you sit slider or change up and depending on the pitcher. And if you are on time with it, you're going to pull it for power. And if you're late, well, because it's a fastball, well, maybe you can still take that the other way. And Bo, you know, maybe this is why he struggled with the fastball a little bit this year is his advanced stuff against changeups and sliders is really, really strong. So it seems like he's he's going up looking to drive those pitches the other way when normally, you know, at least you hear more often uh, guys talk about taking the fastball the other way. Um Bo and Vlad coming up here bring us to a question in our text line, Drew. I think I know your answer to this one, and I don't know if this this listener is just trying to get you ranting or push your buttons, but this question comes from Jonah in Toronto. With his, <laughs> with his offensive numbers suppressed, is it a good time to broach an extension with Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Would something like 10 years, $250 million satisfy both sides? This is obviously something we could do a whole show on, but quick thought on trying to be predatory with your own guy when he's in an extended slump to get a deal done. I, uh, I don't know that I'm in a real rush, to be honest. I think... I, I I don't know. It, it's a really difficult question, I think, because obviously you want to keep you want to keep Vladimir Guerrero in, in, in a Blue Jays uniform for as long as you can. Um, he's the one who I would prioritize. I know there's been a lot of talk about about um, extending Bo Bichette as something that you know our previous conversation notwithstanding. Um, I think that I think that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. still knows what he is capable of, and the free market of baseball certainly knows of which. Uh, that which Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is capable of. So I don't know that you're going to get much of a deal, much of a discount, but uh, I, I'm sure that those conversations are ongoing. And and if it if if now is the time, if if maybe a little bit of fear, a little bit of doubt starts to creep in and you're the Blue Jays and you're looking to save a few pennies down the road, uh, well, you know, more power to you, I guess. Um, <laughs> as a, but, but in the end of the day, I think they're going to want to make a deal that's going to make everybody happy and he's not going to sell himself short because he's spent, you know, six weeks rolling over on uh, breaking balls away uh, you know he's still he's still who he is and you know we're i'm sure in time when he just kind of dials those little a few little things in and like you said pitches he can hit versus pitches he can drive another, another you know adjustment another step in in his kind of maturity and development uh, will make a huge difference and we'll see him raking in the middle of the blue jays lineup again yeah my, my concern with jonah's question would be you risk 
ticking him off where he's like, I know I'm Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I know I'm going to start hitting better again. And, you know, the next four months could look like last year looked. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got lots of time because of the ARB process to, to smooth that out. But you've already got Bo Bichette a little upset at the, you know, lack of even real extension talks and the, you know, the the raise off the minimum salary that he rejected in the off season. Uh, no, don't give me the raise to send a message. So uh, yeah, maybe you don't want to push those buttons. Drew last night, uh, the Jays, despite an 0 for five from Vlad, uh, Teoscar Kirk, a bunch of other guys get going and they win that one, six, five Charlie Montoyo goes through five relievers in that game because Kevin Gosman uh, has what's probably his worst start of the season. The, the splitter's not fine at the bottom of the zone. A little bit of hard contact there from him. Balls flying around the Rogers Center yesterday. Um, so to get through to the end of the game, Charlie goes to Trevor Richards. Richards gets in a little bit of trouble uh, in part because he's getting, you know, kind of batted ball misfortune. Adam Simber comes in and gets them out of it. Uh, a little bit of good fortune there where this is the Jays special now of, hey, throw a runner out at second before the guy can cross home plate. Uh, and then he goes Garcia, Merriweather, Romano, seven, eight, nine. I know you had some thoughts on Julia Merriweather up from the minors getting thrown into the eighth inning there, um, you know, a leverage index of over two, which means compared to all other situations, it's more than double the leverage, which obviously the eighth inning in a one-run game, you can kind of assume that anyway. Um, what were your thoughts on, on the Merriweather choice and how he looked in that inning? I really want to give Charlie Montoyo credit for, for finding a really soft landing spot for Julian Merriweather. Obviously, Julian Merriweather, Jerry, Julian Merriweather has been hit hard at times this year. In particular, he's a guy with um, who's really had a hard time getting uh, left-handed batters out. So that spot... While it was the eighth inning, it was a relatively soft spot in the lineup. You know, he had to deal with Reese McGuire. He had Josh uh, Harrison, who's not having a great year, who, who did hit the ball hard the other way. Um, and then um, uh, the young guy, uh, Mendick, uh, he was able to get him out. So I think that that it was a it was a really nice spot. And I think that that's a probably a decent, like, again, I, I think that's that Montoya deserves credit for for those kind of stars aligning and getting him in a position where he could use him in a situation where there weren't a lot of guys that had the potential to hurt him. You know, Reese McGuire, <laughs> Blue Jays fans know him well. He's not, you know, he's not going to run into one. Even if he does run into one, it means it's going to be like a, a line drive over the shortstop's head into left <laughs> field. Like that, that's, that's peak Reese McGuire, who, who of course did double earlier in the game. So I think it was a great job by Montoyo uh, to find a good spot for him. I think Merriweather looked good. The first couple of batters really executed until, uh, and then he was up 0-2 and just threw a just a dreadful, absolutely <laughs> awful 0-2 pitch. Which again, it's just you, 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 you. If you watch Julian Merriweather, when you watch him when he's right, and even yesterday he had that that slider working even more so than the changeup, which for me is like Julian Merriweather's kind of uh, calling card. Just a wonderful pitch, and he throws so hard. He was touching 98 last night, even up to 99. Um, it's all there, but then you just see a complete mis-execution in a time where you I mean it, it could have been worse in that he was 0-2 so maybe the swing is a little bit more defensive but just a really really bad pitch but in the end he got out of it and and again looked pretty good at in in the process of doing so against a very well selected <laughs> group of opponent opponent opposing batters because you wouldn't I don't think you would send him up there to face the Jose Abreu's and and I mean even even Grandal he got him on the first pitch but you know some of the you do wouldn't want to send him through the teeth of the White Sox lineup so sending him to the kind of uh, back end 
uh, was a bit of a, a, a good bit of business for Montoyo. And the other side of that that reliever progression is that it's the second time in a couple of days we've seen Montoyo use Jimmy Garcia kind of as his, hey, tough part of the order guy, regardless of inning. He, you know, we kind of assumed when Jordan Romano is not available, he might get the ninth given how he's been used. And then he pitches the eighth the other night uh, over the weekend because it's the, the tough part of the Angels order. And then yesterday he pitches the seventh instead of the eighth and he gets the tougher part of the White Sox order. So um, I think that's that's the other side of it there is Charlie Montoyo is using his best relievers against the best opposing hitters, not necessarily um, stacked. Hey, sixth guy goes here, seventh here, eighth here. Um, Drew, you talked about some of the things we've talked about today on your podcast, Spin Rate, with Caitlin McGrath and Ricky Romero. It's got to be pretty cool to be co-hosting a podcast with Ricky Romero. I'll just start with that um, because I'm using that as a pivot into we're going to remember some guys now. We're going to remember some Blue Jays, but Man, uh, Ricky sounds great on that podcast. He's a natural. He came on with us on the Fan Morning Show a couple times, and he was great there too. But you guys have a nice little three-person chemistry going there. No, it's great. It's been a great uh, taking the show in this new direction. Obviously, Caitlin and I had a great time last year, um, and you know, it's it's Caitlin, this is Caitlin's first time, you know, first time podcasting well, and so it's been a real trial by fire for her. And she's come along uh, great, and we have a really good relationship. I've actually known Caitlin for for quite a few years, even long before we started doing this together. But Ricky has been amazing. He um, he's the, he's truly truthfully the nicest guy. <laughs> um, and you know, I remember I talked to him uh, when he was a player uh, about I did this little piece on uh, about the grind of the season, and I picked the right guy at the right time to talk to because that was, of course, well, Blue Jays fans will remember uh, Ricky Romero towards the end of his career. Um, just really battling through unbelievable knee pain and like a lot of uh, of injuries that really really made it tough for him out there. And he would just he went out there and was gutting it out. And that was exactly what he said. But he was really frank and honest with me then. And he's just got a great attitude and and he and he knows the game. And he's really he's really got a lot of enthusiasm too. You, you know, he I don't know if you see us on Twitter. You know, <laughs> my 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 thing with Otani is pretty well known. And Ricky's there like talking trash. And you know, he I think he really loves and really values being a member of the Blue Jays community, even as his. Uh, his career has ended and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, he, he's a really good, uh, really good partner, a really good person to, uh, to, to chat Blue Jays with every single week. I will just arm you with this. He's a big Lakers fan. So if you ever need ammo back about anything, he shoots at you. Uh, you've got easy, easy material there with him being such a big Lakers guy. Um, so my favorite Ricky Romero memory as a player, go back to 2010 the White Sox are in town. And it was a very weird... So I was sitting in the crowd as a fan. I wasn't in the industry at this point or anything. And the New York Knicks had an off night at the end of the season in Toronto. And one row in front of me is Tracy McGrady and Eddie House and Earl Barron, who was uh, like a 10-day contract kind of guy at the time. And Tracy McGrady obviously would go on to play for the the Sugarland Skeeters later. And it was a big thing about his love for baseball. Ricky Romero took a no-hitter into the seventh in that game, maybe even into the eighth. And Tracy McGrady left with a no-hitter going on. I know you got a basketball game the next day, but I was like, when it all started coming out about him being such a big baseball fan, I'm like, no, I I watched this guy uh, leave a no-hitter. So, in terms of remember some guys, that game was also the second game back in Toronto for who on the other side? It was against the White Sox? Mm -hmm. Was it the second game back for Jason Fraser? No, no, Alex Rios. Alex Rios, who also broke up the no-hitter. Oh, okay. That Which was, of course, after the infamous night at the ROM. Okay, Alex Rios. Yes. Alex Rios had uh, you know, some really great years for the Blue Jays. Shout he, out Alex Rios. He has one of the most bizarre baseball reference pages in terms of, like, 
uh, a guy just being way up and way down and getting an extension and then immediately being DFA'd with the, uh, you know, like the video game. Like I do this in out of the park baseball all the time of like, I'm going to wave a guy with a big salary just to see if anyone will claim him, And you don't have to deal with like real players and real fans. But JP Ricciardi did that. He's just like, yeah, get out of here. Um, true fair service. I have more remember some guys stuff for you. So we'll do this again sometime uh, quickly though. Saw someone tweet out today or yesterday that Socrates Brito is dominating in the KBO. I know you're a big fan of the KBO. You spent some time over there yourself. Who is your most stubborn Socrates Brito type in your history as a Jays fan and covering the Jays? The guy who came in as the 25th man didn't work out, but you swore for so long that, hey, this is a guy. He could be a guy. Who is your Socrates Brito? Oh, my God. It's Randy Ruiz. Mm. Randy Ruiz, for sure. I was convinced. Another overseas baseball king. Convinced that Randy Ruiz was the truth. I didn't say it out loud, but I I wrote as many in as many words that like the Blue Jays were fools to keep Jose Bautista because Randy Ruiz Oof. was the truth. Oof. Uh, because he had an amazing month and he hit everything. You know, Bautista pounded the fastball that one in uh, 09, right? Right before he sort of blew up. He had that really good end of his season. But I was like, oh, they're fastballs. Anybody can hit a fastball. Look at Randy Ruiz. He's going the opposite way. He's got sliders, you know, sliders down and on, down and on the outside half. Look, he's hitting curveballs that are here. Randy Ruiz is the truth. I was wrong. Uh, thank goodness. I was so wrong. And Jose Bautista was so, so right. Uh, that's a good one. There's a uh, text those in. I, we'll come back to this another time too. Maybe we'll do a little bit of it tomorrow. Uh, or hey, we'll wait until Bradley Zimmer maybe it gets, uh, gets sent down or something like that. Uh, but let us know who your Socrates Brito is. The end of roster guy that didn't work out that you swore uh, was going to. He was going to be a guy. And maybe you still believe as I do with Eric Thames, who was my version of that uh, and who is now uh, no longer in the Oakland athletic system. Uh, Drew Fair Service, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Love to remember some guys with you and uh, we'll do it again sometime. Thank you, Blake. I will look forward to it and I will remember all the guys I can manage. Yes, uh, nobody better at going through Jay's history with than Drew Fair Service of the Spin Rate podcast. Follow him at Drew Groff on Twitter. We have a Toronto Blue Jays lineup. For today, George Springer taking the day off. So Santiago Espinal leads off. He's followed by Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first base, Teoscar Hernandez in right field. Batting fifth, answering our big question, Alejandro Kirk back in at DH. He'll probably catch tomorrow because Danny Jansen will have caught two in a row, and tomorrow's game is a 3 p.m. start. Generally, you see the, the other catcher catching those situations, but Kirk, being as hot as he is at the plate, gets the DH day. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. follows hitting sixth in left field. Matt Chapman, seventh. Danny Jansen, eighth. And Ryan Maltapia gets the start in center field, batting ninth with Springer getting the day off. Um, don't know if there is going to be an update on George Springer, if it's just one of the many planned days off he has. Uh, the lineup just came out. So we'll keep an eye on that as we go. And, of course, your pitching matchup tonight is Hyunjin Ryu against Michael Kopech. We can do a little bit of a, a tease here. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more uh, about this matchup and how Michael Kopech matches up against the uh, Jays in the 430 block. But quickly, he's almost an inverse of Lucas Giolito from yesterday. Not in terms of stuff, but Giolito is the guy who misses a, a million bats. But if you can get your bat on the ball, it's very, very loud. He allows a lot of hard contact. Kopech, on the other hand, he has pretty pedestrian whiff rates. Um, you know, he's around the the middle 
of the league in terms of his ability to miss bats, but elite batted ball numbers. We're talking top 10th percentile in the league in just about every stat cast stat. So he's, he's a guy who's tough to put a drive into his stuff, even though it comes in at 95 miles an hour and he throws that fastball 65% of the time. That tends to be the profile of guys who miss some bats, but you can take it for a drive. Um, but Kopech uses that fastball really effectively uh, to set up a slider that induces a ton of weak contact and a curveball that's his kind of put-away pitch for the most part. The Toronto Blue Jays don't have a lot of experience against him. Seven plate appearances as a team. Bo Bichette's two for two against him, so uh, maybe Bo continues his hot bay and rolls it into June. Um, And then if you're talking about just performance against fastballs, In general, something to watch tonight, especially if you're someone who plays the prop bet game, uh, Matt Chapman's been pretty solid for loud contact against fastballs 94 miles an hour and higher. Uh, And here's this is kind of the story of Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s season. When he sees fastballs 94 miles an hour or faster, he has an average exit velocity of almost 105 miles an hour, which is huge. That's a really, really well hit ball but he's beaten a lot of those into the ground, even when they're high up in the zone. So we've talked before. uh, I did one of my fast breakdown video series on it. I think last week uh, about how one of the signposts for Vlad when he's hitting well, is that the ball's going in the air a little bit more. He's not, he's not having trouble with the worm burners and beating it in the ground. And when things aren't going well, it's a lot of ground balls, especially to the pull side. So we'll see how that looks. It's a, a nice little, kind of canary in the coal mine game for Vlad in that sense, because he will get a lot of heat from Michael Kopech. um, But generally he does a good job limiting how well batters can drive that. So again, uh, Espinal's at the top of the order playing second base as Springer gets a day off and then Kirk's in a DH. That answers our two big questions. Tapia fills in for Springer in center field, hitting ninth. We'll have a little bit more teeing that up at 430. We'll talk to Ben Ennis of the fan drive time. But we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, I'm talk to Keith Law, the birthday boy, the prospect king. Get a little information on Gabriel Moreno, what his time looks like, a couple of the other rising stars in the Jays system. And we're going to see if maybe Keith Law has some ideas about how to fix Kevin Biggio. That's next on Jays Talk Plus, Sports at 590, The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Give us uh, the old subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It's under the Blue Jays Talk banner. Uh, you will, of course, have Blair and Barker post game tonight for Blue Jays Talk. As usual, get your calls and texts ready for those guys. Five ninety five ninety on the text line. Uh, we're joined now. Hey, someone who's going to answer every Blue Jays fan's biggest question of late: What's the deal with Gabriel Moreno, and how close is he? Uh, we're joined by the Athletics Keith Law, uh, also of the Keith Law Show, author of Inside the Game, a guy who has exquisite music taste as well. Keith, good morning. Uh, good afternoon. I'm used to doing a morning show. Good afternoon, Keith. 
Good afternoon. I, I thought this was entirely a music conversation. Yeah, we so, can. I, I was I was uh, originally going to play you in with some Little Sims. I know that was your favorite album of last year, uh, but we've got a little custom music done by by a friend of mine from uh, a punk band here called Pup, uh, who, by the way, check out if you haven't checked out before. Uh, so we use that instead. What uh? Let let's stay on music just to start. But what's uh? I, I went through your 2021 albums list, and we have a lot of overlap there. What's your favorite album from 2022 so far? Um. It's funny. I had been thinking about that the other day because there's a lot of praise for the new Porridge Radio album, mm -hmm. and I just can't with the way she sings. It's horrible. It's like you know, feral cats or something. <laughs> I just cannot. It doesn't matter if the music's interesting. I just she just lost me. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of talk about the Kendrick Lamar album, which I think I appreciate more than I like. Like I understand why people praise it. Would I actively choose to listen to that album? I think probably not. Um, it just doesn't quite, I probably, it's a little harder to find, but it certainly doesn't quite do it for me. I, I might actually go with The Overload by Yard Act, which is a British kind of post-punk band, very gang of four, wire-influenced, um, you know, slightly snotty, <laughs> definitely left-leaning. You know, the lyrics are not always precisely in time with the music, but that's kind of by design. And for, for whatever reason, that sort of music has just always appealed to me going back I don't know, 25, 30 years now, there's just, and it's going to turn a lot of people off, but I love it. I think they're funny. I think they're witty. And I think the music really works. Great. It sounds like uh, if the band Idols were actually good is the way uh, yes, you, you see that yes. up there. You know, it's funny. Idols, another band I can't get into, critics love them, but they signed Crows to their, well, one of the Idols members has a record label and Crows was their, maybe their first act, certainly the first big act. Crows put out a new album in late March or early April. That's really good. And every time I listen to Crows, I think, yeah, they're way better than Idols. <laughs> uh, this the, is just backwards. <laughs> the other thing I thought about playing you in with, Keith, was happy birthday. Happy birthday, Thank man. You. Thank you. I appreciate it. Doing yes, anything special? Seven squared today. Oh wow! I'm not seeing the actual. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna use scientific notation here to make myself seem younger. There you go. So uh, only we're the, just going only... out to dinner. The the okay. five of us will go out to dinner down the street tonight. It's a school night, and it's the last for my daughter who's in high school. It's the last week of classes. Wow. Next week it's finals, so she's pretty tied up right now. Awesome. That's uh, that's exciting time for you guys. Uh, well, happy birthday. Let's uh, let's pivot into some Jay's stuff. The big question, obviously, right now, uh, he's rocketed up prospect list he's very near the top of yours he just had a 922 ops for the month of may just how impressed have you been by gabriel moreno uh, and his continued progression at AAA this year i'm not shocked uh, for two reasons one is specific to him and i should clarify too i have not gotten to see gabriel moreno this year um he played briefly near me he's had one series near me and i was out of town pretty much the entire week doing amateur stuff so i will get him at some point soon he's gonna be in the futures game also if he's not in the big leagues by then he should certainly be in the futures game i'm not shocked because this is the hitter we thought he was ton of contact good plate discipline not a whole lot of power that's basically what we're seeing from him so far in triple a and a super advanced hitter for his age that's kind of been his rep since he was about 18 or so also just in general I don't know what's going on in AAA. They're still using, they weren't supposed to be using a different baseball in AAA than they were in the low minors. I actually have a request into Major League Baseball for a comment on this, but let's just say lots of guys are hitting better than expected at AAA. I wouldn't say he's hitting better than expected. I think he's doing just what we thought he'd do. 
I would be more concerned if he were underperforming because it seems like so many other guys are getting to AAA and performing extremely well this year. If he had taken any kind of step back, I'd be a little bit concerned. But he's done exactly what we want him to do. It's like I said, it's a ton of contact. It seems to be good quality contact so far. Uh, Some power is going to come. I'm not worried about the fact he's got one home run on the season. He is also just 22 without a ton of experience. There will be some more power down the road. Not 20 homer power, but enough power for him to be the kind of above average everyday player that I think he's going to be. You mentioned the advanced approach, uh, seven walks to 11 strikeouts for the month of May, which uh, for an underage guy at that at that level is pretty impressive. Uh, I'm a little... I'm not worried by what you said about the the offensive environment at AAA. I just, I thought that we as a Toronto Blue Jays media were past this when they got out of the PCL, when Vegas was no longer the AAA team, because (laughs) I I bid on that PCL inflated pump fake so many times, and I'm not ready to go back there, Keith. No, I don't want to either. I thought we were done, because last year, for listeners who don't know, one of the big problems we were having is that um, anybody doing any kind of evaluation for teams or folks like me who do it full-time on the media side is that they were using one baseball all the way up through AA and a different baseball in AAA in the majors. So you would see players perform at what appeared to be one level up through AA, get promoted to AAA, and suddenly, you know, for hitters, they, they would appear to have gotten a lot better. For pitchers, they would appear to have suddenly gotten worse. And it was really just the change in baseball and takes some time for guys to adjust to that. Edward Cabrera with the Marlins, good example of a guy I'm really high on as a pitcher who dominated all the way up through AA and got to AAA and suddenly had some trouble. He really had trouble throwing his change up. And when he got to the big leagues, ended up having an extensive conversation with somebody at Major League Baseball to say, look, I think you're mischaracterizing these pitches. Either that or your baseball screwed up. <laughs> so I just try to keep in mind what we're seeing at AAA. I don't think this is true in Moreno, but in a lot of cases, we need to at least take a step back and say, hey, is this real or is this a different baseball? There's a player, not really a huge prospect, but in the Orioles system who seems to have cut his strikeout rate dramatically going to AAA this year. I'm not buying yet. I'm going to wait and see if he does that over a longer period of time. Does that continue when he gets to the majors? Or is this just a guy who's a little older taking advantage of the fact that pitchers are having trouble with the Major League Baseball at AAA? This is uh, it's funny to think that like this is actually it's not funny. It's frustrating. But the mm-hmm. fact that this is actually an issue in the sport, like I know that in basketball, you use a different three point line in college or whatever. But we that's been consistent and known enough, at least that we can we can account for it and adjust for it. And I'm now thinking like, oh, what if in college or the G League, they use the different weight to the basketball, but they didn't really tell you. And they didn't really let you know ahead of time uh, how to translate that. It's a weird situation. Well, um, we have it in all our amateur players use tin bats, yeah. right? We, we, you know, put a huge problem in the amateur draft is trying to figure out, well, can this guy really hit? Or is it just because he's using a metal bat? That's why we love going to see players in the Cape Cod League or with Team USA or the Canadian national team or the Canadian amateur teams that come down to Florida in spring training. We love watching those guys. If you're going to use a wood bat to hit, we want to see that because that's what we use in pro ball, not those fake things that they use in college and high school. Yeah, but it's good to know that those college and high school guys can be good slow pitch players if they uh, if they don't make it's it true. past they do have a, or They have a great fallback option. <laughs> um, okay, so stick, let, let's get back to Moreno just a little bit. Um, there's been some talk here in Toronto, in part because they're running a thin bench, in part because they carried three catchers a, a lot of times uh, in the past handful of years. Where do you stand on, especially for a guy as young as Moreno is for AAA, um, 
The balance of getting everyday reps at AAA right now, even if he's ready, versus, hey, he could maybe help you win right now at the major league level, but he's only playing, say, three times a week. I would not call him up to play three times a week. Um, I just wouldn't do that to any hitter, but particularly a guy who's as inexperienced as he is. Moreno's missed a lot of time Mm -hmm. in his pro career due to injury and obviously due to the just completely lost 2020 season. So I would not want to take him and put him in an environment where he's just losing more at-bats. Just from a developmental standpoint, very, very few hitters have gone on to have successful careers where they've missed a lot of at-bats. Usually that's due to injury. You know, Josh Hamilton's the one who comes to mind. He's Mm -hmm. the extreme, extreme outlier who missed basically three years, came back, turned into an MVP-level player. He is one in a thousand. And as much as I like Gabriel Moreno, I don't want to bet he's that guy. But I also think they could cycle some of these guys through, right? You have the DH spot to play with a lot of the time. You could cycle certain guys through there to get more at-bats for different guys. It, it, because I think the the genesis of your question is Alejandro Kirk, right? Mm-hmm. That's because he is now performing like he was supposed to perform. And suddenly the Jays are in this amazing position where they might have two guys who are good enough to be everyday catchers in the majors. Once 23, once 22 combined, they make less than a million and a half this year. That's a pretty great situation to be in. And at some point they are probably going to have to make a choice, but in the short term, could they mix and match with those two guys? Yeah, possibly just don't put Moreno in a situation where he's not hitting. Yeah, Danny Jansen's, you know, you you could get to a scenario maybe where it's Moreno and Kirk splitting the catcher role with some DH mm-hmm. time. But Danny Jansen's only 27 as well. And he's since he returned from a hamstring injury late August last year, he's he's been a much different hitter, a much improved hitter in terms of hitting for power. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a little tough to work all of those guys in. Um, the other side of that is that. There are some Jays fans, at least when Jose Ramirez was believed to be available, that looked at and said, well, you have three catchers and it's a position of scarcity. Maybe you deal from that for something else. How are catchers as prospects viewed around the league in terms of market value? Because, yes, it's a very scarce position. If you have a good young one, it's a huge thing. But it's also a position with some real attrition rates. So there's a little maybe a little more risk uh, in a trade package where a catcher is the key piece. Um, everything you just said is accurate. Uh, I, to answer the question that was embedded in there was, are, how are they valued? Very highly. Okay. Because two reasons. One, uh, the scarcity. There are a lot of teams that just don't have a decent catching prospect anywhere in their system. That is why when the Nationals made the big trade with the Dodgers last year, why was Kiebert Ruiz, I would argue, the centerpiece of the trade? They didn't have another catcher. They did not have a guy anywhere in the system who looked like a future everyday catcher in the big leagues. Kiebert Ruiz is that. Projected as that, is that, will be that. And so you you can build a trade around a guy like that relatively easily, especially if you're trading with a team that has that lack, that has the absence. Uh, You know, as they say, if you don't have a catcher, you're going to have a lot of pass balls. (laughs) And so teams are pretty pretty keen to make sure they've got multiple in the system if they can. I mean, the A's have Sean Murphy in the big leagues. who doesn't really make any money yet. I think next year will be his first decent uh, payday in the majors. And they were still willing to take Shea Langoliers in the trade that sent Matt Olson to Atlanta, uh, where you know, he might, he was probably the best prospect in that deal. Um, I think in Oakland's eyes, he was the most valuable prospect in that deal. And they just, from that, for their perspective, it's more, this guy's really valuable. We'll just take him. We'll figure it out later. If that means we trade Sean Murphy in two years because Langoliers is ready to take over and we're Oakland and we don't pay anybody, sure, <laughs> great. But you're always in a better situation just 
adding the most value. And whether it's Moreno or Kirk, I really don't think they're going to trade Moreno. They could trade Kirk at some point. He's pretty valuable. He's mm-hmm. valuable because he can catch. He's valuable because he puts the ball in play a tremendous amount and does it pretty hard. I would be more inclined to trade him than Moreno almost entirely on body, just physically. Who do I think is going to hold up better for the next six years as a catcher? I'm taking Moreno. That's fair. Um, we're talking to Keith Law of The Athletic and The Keith Law Show, author of Inside the Game and Birthday Boy. I want to do a couple other quick hits from you from the Jays system. A, a name I've kind of become enamored with, and mm-hmm. even more so now that after the Ryan Barucki DFA, the Jays have an open spot on their 40-man. Uh, Adrian Hernandez, 18 innings pitched over two levels this year, 27 strikeouts, um, small sample, but he's ironed out some of the platoon split issues we saw before. Uh, what do you, what have you seen from Hernandez, or, or what can you tell us about Hernandez, particularly with respect to that weird, that weirdly delivered changeup? I'm, I'm still not even sure how to describe <laughs> how he delivers that. Like I think his arm supinates instead of pronates is the is the way to describe it. But but what do you what do you I'm you've trying seen? to figure out? how to do that with my arm. Yeah, it's uh, it's uncommon, but that change up or, or screwball or whatever you want to characterize it as, uh, it looks like it's been really, really effective uh, over double A AA and triple A this year. Yeah, now again, I have not seen him, have not seen the double AA, A, triple A club. Um, the double A club, same thing, just waiting for them to come down near me. For listeners who don't know, I live in Wilmington, Delaware. So there are several Eastern League teams nearby. I let New Hampshire come down to me to see that. (laughs) Um, The big thing you mentioned is the platoon split issues. I just get very wary of platoon splits in tiny samples. He's Mm -hmm. faced 66 batters this year. So we're going to see a lot of weirdness in platoon splits, a lot of reverse splits in a sample that small. The good news, I think, is that Last year, he walked nearly a man an inning in Dunedin, which was the uh, which was a place where he spent uh, you know what about a third of the season or so, and it kind of skewed a lot of his season long numbers. Now his per- his control progressed, improved as he moved up and as the season went on. He's carried that forward into this year, so it's not a small you know you're less likely to say it's a small sample issue when we're going back probably close to 365 days now of him just throwing more strikes because you know, he's always missed bats, obviously, and you specified why. But the fact that he is throwing more strikes gives me reason to believe there's something there. I mean, ultimately, what is he? He's probably a one-inning reliever, and that's fine. That's great. You don't want to pay for those guys. Is there more upside than that? And I don't think so. I don't really – I don't feel confident saying that, but I also acknowledge the fact that plenty of guys have come from absolutely nowhere to turn out to be really good one-inning relievers, really good closures in the big leagues who did not project really as prospects coming up. Like he wasn't on my top 20 coming mm-hmm. into this season because because of that, because he was basically a one-inning reliever in the minors. So another, another rising name, um, and he has a little more background to him because he's a starter, because he was a third-round pick, but Ricky Tiedemann has already got the bump from A to high A. Uh, over those two levels in eight starts, a 159 ERA and a monstrous 62 to 15 strikeout-to-walk ratio over just shy of 40 innings. Uh, how how excited should Jays fans be getting for the performance Tiedemann's turning in his first pro year? Both he and uh, Hayden Younger, uh, I've gotten great notes on both guys from scouts already this year. Tiedemann, it's been up to 100, I believe. Um, and I, honestly, he should have been a second rounder the year before the Jays drafted him. Um, it was the uh, the pandemic draft, right? He was coming out, his senior year of high school was the 2020 draft. His agent kind of 
overplayed his hand and Tiedemann ended up getting not drafted at all. He just asked for a little bit too much money and it was enough for teams to go the other direction. To his credit, he just went to junior college so he'd get right back in the draft the next year. And he didn't throw great for Golden West last spring. I thought he was probably going to end up losing money. He did slip to the third round. Jays took him. By the fall of last year, he was starting to bump 98, 99. I've heard he's hit 100 a bunch of times this year. The secondaries are really good. I think you've pretty clearly got a starter here. It's just a question of building up some body of work, right? He's got Mm -hmm. eight pro starts so far. He didn't pitch last year. And so just let's see him do this over the course of more or less a full season. My guess is he probably finishes in New Hampshire at this Mm -hmm. rate. Um, And with him and Younger, who I think was the fifth rounder last year, you know, barely pitched in college, but he's been sitting 95 with good life on the fastball and potentially a plus slider. If he can start and he throws a lot of strikes, if he can hold up as a starter, that's, it's an incredible find for the scouting staff in the, it was the fifth or the sixth round last year. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the Tiedemann thing, he's still not even 20. So if he's ending the year in double a man, you're in a, you're in a good spot there. Um, yeah. He was a young high school senior and these, mm-hmm. there are a lot of reasons why we favor young high school players as an industry. There's a lot of data saying that they have uh, better long-term outcomes. Also, there's that margin for error, right? This guy could, you know, he's only 19. He's actually multiple years out of high school now. It's like, it's almost like you get the gap year to find yourself and then get into pro ball and become, obviously he's becoming everything they hoped he'd be and more. So one player who has not been what the Jays hope they'd be, and I don't, I don't bring this up necessarily for you to you know do a victory lap or anything like that but i, oh, I know who this is about yeah i i want to get some i, I want to try to find a reasonable middle ground here where cabin biggio was never a guy you were very high on um you know he was a, a late fifth round pick he was talked about as part of this core i think in large part because he's also a second generation guy like vlad and like Bo. um he hits the majors in 2019. He's pretty good. He has a really good 2020 short season. And the last two years have seen him kind of fall the other way. Um, he's been really not great this year in 44 plate appearances. They're, they're kind of bouncing him around the diamond as a utility guy. Um, he had an extended rehab stint in AAA and then got option down there where it was kind of, you know, he had the, this monster walk rate. And it's like, yeah, we know you can take a walk. That's not what the question is at the majors. So um, are you, where are you on what Kevin Biggio is as a major leaguer? Um, because he's 27 now. He's not as young as Vlad and Kirk and some of these other guys. He, he's getting to known commodity territory. The comment I made a couple of years ago that Blue Jays fans really didn't like um, was that I said he wasn't worth a roster spot. And I stand by that. He's not worth a roster spot, certainly not on a contending team, because as you said, the only thing he can do is walk when it's good stuff in the strike zone. He can't hit it. And that's always been true. He had brief runs of success in pretty small samples in the majors um, and was used pretty judiciously. They were pretty careful about who they used him against and, you know, not using against lefties, trying to keep him away from better velocity because he cannot hit major league fastballs. And I think he's really demonstrated that, especially over the last year and a half. And he doesn't have a position. I don't really understand. I really didn't understand the Jays fans who were so obsessed with him. I will say it's the only player where I've actually had to block people on Instagram, where I mostly post pictures of food and board games, <laughs> but people were getting rude. You, know, Cana- you Canadians who were getting rude on Instagram, you are destroying your country's reputation for niceness. But it was bizarre. It was like, all I said was, I don't think the player's good. I didn't insult him. I just gave an opinion on the player and it was evidence-based. He can't hit. 
He cannot hit good quality stuff. He just draws walks. Being able to tell a ball from a strike is a great skill to have. He may have a long career as a coach. If he can find a way to translate that, communicate that to other players, that would be incredibly valuable. It is a good thing that he can do. But ultimately, pitchers and other teams figured out pretty quickly, okay, well, you can't hit good strikes. So if we just focus on throwing good stuff in the strike zone, we can get Kevin Biggio out. And that is ultimately what happened when you have that and – you don't really have any defensive value at all. I don't know what your place is on a contending team. That roster spot would probably be better used on a lot of other players. Maybe he goes to a worse team that is willing to deal with some of his deficiencies because he's got more on-base skills than a lot of players in the lineup. Maybe a, I was going to say Baltimore, but they're actually kind of improving in that department. A team that's where Baltimore was a year or two ago, maybe you could find a use for Kevin Biggio. This I think, Blue Jays team is not that team. I think the big fear is just because he has positional versatility, the the whole raise thing of if you're bad at every position, that's better than being good at any position. And then they'll <laughs> turn him into a 25 home run guy or something. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a tough look right now. And they're trying to find him plate appearances and probably will continue to. Uh, but I'm not sure that we're getting 2019, 2020 version back. Uh, Keith Law, thanks so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Hope you have a great birthday dinner tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Keith Law of The Athletic, of The Keith Law Show, author of Inside the Game. Some fun stuff there on Ricky Tiedemann, Hayden Younger, Adrian Hernandez, and yes, Gabriel Moreno. Um, there's a, a text in the text line. This person didn't sign it, but um, you know he draws the comparison here of, of people talking about the Jays needing to trade a catcher to, to moving Aaron Sanchez to the bullpen in, in 2016. And I certainly understand the... If you're getting a little annoyed at taking a positive, like having depth at a scarce position and trying to find ways to alleviate that. But the Jays are also in a window right now where they expect to contend. So if that's something that can improve your major league ball club in some way, you kind of have to at least look at it theoretically. Uh, If you don't want to do that though, Hey, it's still great to have a guy like Keith Lawn to tell you all the good things Gabriel Moreno is doing, how advanced his approach is for his age at AAA, uh, and how confident he is in how Moreno is going to grow as a defender, um, given his body and his athleticism. Little update here. I read the lineup out earlier. Uh, George Springer was not on it. Rymal Tapia is in center field and hitting ninth. Santiago Espinal uh, at second base and leading off. It's a non-COVID illness for Springer. He'll be at the ballpark uh, per the beat writers around the team tweeting out the updates there. Um, and one other update since we talked about it with Drew Fair Service brief- briefly. Uh, per Andy McCullough of The Athletic, Mike Trout declined to comment on Jock Peterson's uh, violation of their league rules and if he uh, if he's a bad commissioner or not. He said, quote, every commissioner I know gets booed. As the commissioner of my like 15 or 16 year running fantasy football league with uh, my buddies from home. I can attest that there's no, there's no winning as commissioner. um, But at least no one has ever called me the worst commissioner in sports like Tommy Pham did to Mike Trout. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to pull Ben Ennis from the fan drive time into the studio half an hour early. They're on five to seven, but he's going to come up with us. Come on with us and help us tee up uh, Jay Sox game two Hyunjin Ryu against Michael Kopech. That's next on Jay's talk plus. Sports at 590, The Fan. Great daily gambling advice from J.D., Blake, and Ailish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Nice little chat there with Keith Law about some of the top Jay's prospects. If you missed it, or if you missed us, remembering some guys with Drew Fair service, talking to Julia Kreutz about last night's game and tonight's game, uh, subscribe to the podcast, Blue Jay's Talk. And of course, Blair and Barco will have you post-game on that same podcast feed or here on Sportsnet 590. The fan uh, first pitch goes tonight at 7.07. Ben Wagner on the call on the Sportsnet radio network. It's Hyunjin Ryu against Michael Kopech. That song coming in said, good arms versus bad arms. This could be a good arms versus good arms. We'll see. One of the big stories tonight, the White Sox, who are a fairly pedestrian offense, they hit lefties hard. And Hyunjin Ryu has been a little up and down this year. To help us tee this one up, he's in a little early from the fan drive time. Ben Ennis, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled as all heck to be on Blue Jays Talk Plus. It's much better than Blue Jays Talk, right? Because it's plus. It's got the plus, yeah. Correct. But although it's not a plus in that... It's more. It's a plus in that it's adjusted for league average. Okay. So, like they've told me, it's like you have to be exactly league average, or the stat JT plus as a stat doesn't make <laughs> sense. So, uh, I can't be above average, but I also can't dip below. So. All right. So this is Blue Jays talk plus one hundred. Yes. All right. Yeah. You wanted this is supposed to be the benchmark of this is average. Yeah. If you're better than this, you're in good shape. If you're worse than this, get off the station. I like that. Yeah. We're doing all right. Um. So. Ryu's on the mound tonight. Mm-hmm. This is not a White Sox lineup that you'd be particularly worried about. Uh, they haven't had a great season offensively anyway, and then they're missing a handful of names due to injury and illness and a number of other things. Um, Hyunjin Ryu has had a better ERA over his last couple starts, but they've been short starts, and he's dealt with some trouble and stuff. Where are you on Ryu right now? Um, because it's been hard for me, at least, to get a to get a feel on my own confidence level with him game to game. Oh, it's very low. No, it's I, like I have no problem gauging my confidence level <laughs> on Hunjin Ryu. I have a, a very accurate, I think, perception of what he is right now, which is a guy who got two swings and misses through his entire last start, throwing 89, right? Yeah. Uh, I will be paying attention to the fastball velocity. It's not like a Jordan Romano, hey, is he throwing 94 and not 97? But it's, are you throwing 88 and not 89-90? And I know, you know, at the conclusion of his last start, was talking about the, the elbow being an issue for him. But this is 100% now a guy that you're just hoping and praying gets through five innings without throwing the game away at that point six would be uh, an absolute treat but yeah there's and against this lineup of just all righties and future hall of famer andrew vaughn like (laughs) i don't know yeah i I think it's if uh if you're the blue jays and you have expectations of extending that winning streak i think you should uh, think about getting to michael kopech which is not all that easy no it's not all that easy and it's a very different challenge than giolito last night who they did a good job against uh, but Kopech's a lot of soft contact instead mm-hmm. of hard contact and maybe misses fewer bats, but um, a different a different approach for sure. Uh, so that White Sox lineup, by the way, they, again, they crush left-handed pitching on the year to the tune of a 120 WRC plus, about 20% better than league average uh, overall when they're facing a left-handed pitcher. But Tim Anderson is on the aisle. Eloy Jimenez is on a rehab assignment. Juan Moncada is going to miss his fifth game in a row. Still not entirely sure why they activated him off the IL to not play. Um, AJ Pollock is back tonight and leading off. He's a guy who's had a little bit of success against Ryu in a, in a pretty big sample. Um, He's the Ryu's had a lot of sample against this White Sox lineup, but it's all 
chunked up into little guys, except for AJ Pollock, who was in the NL West at one point. Um, Pollock's hit him pretty well over a larger sample. But that White Sox lineup is Pollock, Andrew Vaughn, your guy. The reason I'm going down to the park tonight, I had to scramble. I'm like, I got to see Andrew Vaughn. That guy, like, I, I kid about the future Hall of Famer thing, but Tabby was talking about it on the broadcast. And you just look at the at-bats he had mm-hmm. against Kevin Gossman. Was it 11-pitch oh, at-bat or something like and that? And then he laces the double to left field. Like, that guy looks totally, totally <laughs> legit in and his plate appearances. There's pedigree here. He was yeah. the number three overall pick not all that long ago, 2019. Um, you know, he didn't have... The greatest of rookie seasons last year, he had 235, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it takes guys a little bit. And one of the most encouraging things, even when he was having a a shakier rookie year, was he wasn't striking out a ton. Mm -hmm. And if you can draw walks and not strike out a ton when you're not hitting all that well and you're a rookie, I think that that bodes pretty well for uh, where you're going in your career. It's the same reason that, you know, we're... Alejandro's. Mm-hmm, I that's was correct. I, I want it. I want to just refresh the record that I was on Good Show at one point when that was first becoming a thing, and I was in. I yeah. was one of the original Alejandro's. <laughs> but that's one of the things that you're encouraged by with Alejandro Kirk too is that there's no wasted plate appearances, right? Even when he slumps to start the season mm-hmm. uh, and doesn't have an extra base hit for an entire month, the process is there, and he's not striking out a ton. Um, what's been the most important impressive part of, of we'll get back to the White Sox lineup in a second but what's been the most impressive part of Kirk's season to you so far well that he started off I mean he was never having a bad offensive season because he had a bunch of like infield singles I early think he had on five was, infield singles was insane for uh perhaps the slowest Blue Jay although Danny Jansen isn't all that much faster if he is faster at all um I mean the easy thing to say is actually the defense right because um, I've never been a guy that said his defense can't play in the major leagues, although there have been some people have been very curious about whether he'd be uh, good enough defensively to to be even a, a 50-50 split guy behind the plate, and he's been certainly more than that, stealing a bunch of strikes at the bottom of the zone. No, he's you know what he is? He's been he's the same thing he's always been forever and ever and ever in the minor leagues in the major leagues he's just been a hitter he's been a guy that's had a like he has a a a long enough track record now in the major leagues to say this guy's a 350 on base Mm -hmm. um and there's a little bit of pop in that bat as we saw yesterday obviously also it's kind of curious the way the balls are flying recently. Oh, yeah. I've done this in our in our Wake and Rake segment on the Fan Morning Show um, where we make some picks for the night, and I've looked at the trends in the – well, I, I can't say for sure it's the baseball data, mm. but it sure looks – if you were looking for evidence that they've done something to revert back to the other baseballs, uh, there's a split at the end of the five-week mark of the season right. where the home run per fly ball rate has gone from about 10.1% to almost 12%. That's not a huge, huge, huge jump in terms of you know how many home runs you're going to see. You're talking about an extra 2% of fly balls leave the park, but that's a pretty big jump. Oh, yeah, it's massive. No, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, yeah, they change the ball or change the setting on the humidor, whatever it is, and, and good on them because... Yeah, uh, Matt Chapman kind of wishes they had done that a couple of weeks ago, and guys still hard luck uh, w- when it comes Man. to the 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 number of outs he hits into. But no, they, it just like it, and especially that Kirk fly ball to left field, right? Like that's one that doesn't feel like it's going out in April. No, when we did so much of the stuff in the Angels series of oh that would have been out of this many parks mm-hmm. and darn that's that's some tough luck there or what was it the Giancarlo right field inside out one that it's like oh this is the only park it leaves. 
Well, guess what? You're back home for a little bit now, and sometimes your park plays a little funky too. Uh, so I don't know about the wind scoops or anything like that. It's probably ball-related. Uh, but, yeah, good start for, for Kirk here. Um, he'll be in the lineup again today as the DH. Danny Jansen catches. So uh, that answers that question of if they continue to try to get both catchers in the lineup regularly, uh, even with a day game tomorrow following tonight's night game. So to continue through the White Sox order, it's Pollock, Vaughn, Abreu, Luis Robert at DH, uh, his first game back, uh, Jake Berger, Lurie Garcia, Adam Engel, Reese McGuire, our old friend hitting eighth, and Danny Mendick hitting ninth. On the J side, it's Santiago Espinel at the top playing second base. George Springer's out with a non-COVID illness. He'll be at the park. Uh, Bobachette, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, Alejandro Kirk at DH, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Matt Chapman, Danny Jansen, Rymel Tapia getting the start in center uh, with Springer out and hitting ninth. One of the, you mentioned Matt Chapman there a little mm. bit tongue in cheek about the, the batted ball luck that he's had. Kopech's an interesting opponent for him tonight because I said it a little bit earlier. You can make contact against him. He's not a guy that has elite, elite whiff rates or swing and, swing and miss rates, uh, and but he doesn't allow very much hard contact. And that's a little curious for a guy who throws a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, and he throws that about two-thirds of pitches. That's normally the type of guy who gets hit pretty hard. Uh, instead, he uses that fastball really well to set up weak contact on the slider and to use that curveball as his kind of swing and miss pitch. When I look through what the Jays have done against guys who throw really hard this year. Chapman and Vlad are the two most interesting ones for me. So let's start with Chapman. He has been pretty good by the numbers in terms of uh, what he does against pitches 94 miles an hour or faster, where Kopech will sit for most of the night. Um, But even though he's done well, a lot of his batted ball data says he's been unlucky. So when you go into a matchup tonight with a guy who allows some contact um, and throws it hard, do you think this is a good spot for Chapman or or is – Kopech's track record of weak contact too much for for a guy like Chapman to overcome. Maybe. No, I, Chapman, I view Chapman right now the way I, I guess I viewed Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hitting with runners in scoring position. This whole team hitting with runners <laughs> in scoring position basically before the Angels series is, yeah, no, the, the math is eventually going to take over here because June means that it's no longer early, right? Like right. It, we, we are now talking about... Uh, a serious sample size. And we've seen it, you know, it, it's, some of those balls are starting to fall a little bit for for Matt Chapman. But no, at the, at the end of the season, I, I think it's very difficult to go through 162 games, even though you don't play that. 150 games of having just abysmal batted ball luck. I think, yeah, he's, he's due to have uh, one of those big Matt Chapman games where a couple of those juiced baseballs go over the fence. Yeah, I would like to see that. And, and you know, you say the math, takes over and that's kind of the idea of this show mm-hmm. uh <laughs> j plus but no unless you're kendris morales it, it probably does unless you're hitting the ball really hard into gloves um because of a shift which chapman isn't doing he uses the field a little bit more um and you know that was one of the things we were looking for when we saw the dip in his numbers in 2019 and 2020 and it was maybe related to that hip issue that he dealt with well one thing you want to see come along is him being able to handle hard pitches and pitches up in the zone a little better and and use the other side of the field a little bit more because that's what got taken away from his game in 2019 and 2020. Uh, And we've seen some process side stuff with that. We have a text in the text line uh, that helps us tee up tonight's game and touches on two things we already talked about. So this person didn't sign their text, but they ask, what is more likely to happen tonight? Alejandro Kirk homers again, Mm. or Hyunjin Ryu is out of the game before the end of the fourth inning. Well, okay, that's I, 
<laughs> I feel like I already took my shots at Hanjin Ryu, who, by the way, it was not that long ago that this guy was better than serviceable. Like, the yeah. first half of last season, he was better than serviceable. He was good. He looked yep. like his normal self, opening day of last season. And then, it, it yeah, I guess you can go through the aging process very quickly over the course of a season because by the end of it, yeah, he was rightly removed from the rotation, put on the IL, and then, you know, fingers crossed, put him back into the rotation, and this season's been a, a carryover to that. So, yeah, I mean, if I was actually, you know, had to put down a hard-earned dollar, I would say the guy who just hit two home runs yesterday, probably not likely to hit another home run, his third in two games <laughs> today, and the guy who... Uh, was already lifted from the rotation this year for perhaps a made-up injury. <laughs> yeah, might not go, might not go the distance. I would, I would probably wager on that. Yeah, against the guy with a big old home run per fly ball ratio of zero percent mm. on the year, hasn't given up a homer yet. Michael Kopech, that's messed up. That is. I mean, we saw Gosman give up only his second yesterday, mm -hmm. but that's against again future MVP Andrew Vaughn. How, so hold on. He's given up two home runs and he has a walk now. So what does he have? Four walks? Five walks, I think, now. Oh, okay. I think he walked a fifth guy yesterday. All right. So I think if you can keep those those two numbers pretty close, I think <laughs> you're doing a good job. Yeah, and that's the difference with, you know, a guy like Kopech. He does walk a fair number of guys. And that's another area that the Jays can maybe be, whoa, maybe make a little uh, a hay tonight is that as they've turned things around a little bit here, the walk rates come up and that's, you know, they face some pitchers that, that were having control issues and they got deeper into some bullpens against the Los Angeles angels, but that's what you got to do. That's the important thing. And I think that's when you look at, Hey, what does a good Matt Chapman night look like? And it's usually that he's getting deep into counts. He's making pitchers work. He leads a team in a uh, pitches scene per plate appearance. What is a good Santiago Espinal plate appearance look like, especially at the top of the order where we know one of the things that's valuable about that slot is the longer you can go, the more pitches Vlad gets to see before he gets in there. And mm -hmm. there's sometimes the trickle down effect from Springer having really good at bats at the top uh, to Vlad's performance. And then down in the order, you know, can you just not have empty plate appearances? Well, Michael Kopech has walked 12% of the batters he's faced this year. So um, there is some opportunity to do that. If you can be patient enough, the hard part is that, you know, it's hard to be patient against a 95 mile an hour fastball that he's putting around the zone and you think you can hit. Well, and this is not exactly the, the most patient team in Major League Baseball, though. But yeah. recently, like you've seen, I, I, at least I've seen a better process, especially Lourdes yeah. Goriel Jr. laying off some pitches yesterday. Um, yeah, Bo Bichette even takes a walk, which used to be, you know, you would uh, would uh, celebrate uh, with your friends and family when that happened. No, I, I, I've just... I've. This is still a team that's going to make its bones offensively by swinging the bat. That's what they do. They're, they're not going to be a bunch of Aaron judges, you know, where they, they, they really do combine the on base with the slug. This is a team that needs to swing through its offensive struggles. But, yeah, you really cannot. It's, it's, and Vlad is, is the prime example of this. It, no matter how great a, a bat-to-ball contact hitter you are, you cannot overcome swinging at a ton of pitches out of the zone, which the process has been a lot better recently for this team. Yeah, and, you know, Vlad's still struggling a little bit with the laying off the low and away stuff, uh, but as a team, it's trended in the right direction. And obviously yesterday you see Teoscar Hernandez, who's, you know, process wasn't necessarily as bad as it just the results weren't there, but he has three balls that he hits 100 miles an hour faster. It's, he's only done that 15 times all year, and you have him have his first multi-extra base hit game of the season. We're two months in here. I know he spent time on the, the IL. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Gurriel, too, because he has six hits and three walks over his last four games. Mm -hmm. We know him more than anyone 
he's streaky. He's going to get cold. He's going to get hot. And by the end of the year, you're probably going to be around the same numbers. Where are you in terms of, hey, we're a couple years in with this guy. This is fifth season. Are you trying to figure out what's at the root of the cold streaks and hot streaks? Or are you just kind of riding the waves of Lourdes Gurriel Jr. at this point? No, I think there's very few Mike Trouts in, yeah. in the world. <laughs> Not a lot of them. <laughs> I think I think this is generally the way that, that most Major League Baseball players go through a 162-game season. And it stands out. When you get off to a slow start, which he tends to be like a slow starter, right? And of course, it was September last year where he went totally nuts. And and yeah, you're right. Like you can pencil him in for like a 780 OPS by the end of the year. That's just <laughs> what he does, right? Um, Randall Grichuk, same sort of deal. When when he was a Blue Jay, this is it's it's really the 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 best uh, attribute you can have as an offensive player in baseball, in my opinion, is consistency. Um, but there's very few that are capable of doing it, right? Like night in, night out, put together four great plate appearances and, you know, end of the week, your numbers are consistent week after week <laughs> after week. And basically I'm describing one person and that's Mike Trout. The rest of the thousands of Major League Baseball players, they have their hot streaks and their cold streaks and and you hope that the hot streaks um, align at the right times. Um, and that for this team will be at the end of September and into October, perhaps deep into October. But I, 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 I don't think there's anything abnormal about Lourdes Gurriel Jr. with the, the way he, he runs hot and cold. I think there's a lot of Major League Baseball players that are like that. Yeah, and we see it. You know, you move around in the box a little bit. You change something with your approach. You, you know, change your, your discipline profile. You know, you start one of the things that helped Bo Bichette turned it around, I think, back to that Red series where he sat slider that whole series pretty much. And, you know, he he had a nice hit off of a changeup last night, which he's also done really well against uh, over the last two years. So, you know, maybe he's just not a fastball guy, but the better recognition of, hey, I'm going to sit on a pitch that I'm waiting for and I can drive it in a certain location. Um, that's a hard thing to do. But, yeah, you make those adjustments. It's the same on the pitcher side where Brios will have a couple good starts and then he'll lose it. And then you look back, it's like, well, should you have moved him on the mound? Who knows? Uh, it's the same with Ryu where yes, someone texted in and, and again, they didn't sign it, but um, that he only has two earned runs over 11 innings his last two starts. And that's true, but there's more going on than just the earned runs in those games. Uh, you got something on that? Well, uh, yeah, no, again, that, that, that is true. And you know what? He's all about results. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and if he gets results, that's all that matters, right? That's, that's, you know, most people, they don't look any further on the baseball reference page than the line score. And why should you? Because, yeah, the... the I mean, that's what happened, right? That This <laughs> is the thing is the line score, wherever we are in terms of baseball stats and analytics, yeah. the triple slash line for a hitter is still the best description of what happened. Yeah. And an ERA for a pitcher. This is why I actually, for pitchers, prefer baseball reference wins above replacement to fan graphs wins above replacement mm -hmm. because baseball references for pitchers is what happened. Yeah. It's and not fan graphs is what should have happened. Right, 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 right. It's like, well, okay. At the end of the year, when I'm talking about Cy Young candidates or whatever, I don't care what should have happened. Yeah. But Kevin Gossman leads in fan graphs war among starting pitchers by like a win and a half, I think because, yeah. <laughs> because his FIP is ridiculous. Okay. Well then I'll change my <laughs> mind on that by the end of the year. Uh, no, I will say, yeah, he's 0.7 ahead of, uh, of course this is, you know, it's early season when the, the name behind him is Martin Perez, yes. who is striking out fewer than seven batters per nine, uh, but is somehow smoke and mirroring a, a 142 ERA. Mm -hmm. um, Michael Kopech, not far off of that either. He has been, excellent to start the year the jays will see him tonight uh again george springer off with a non-covid 
illness. So Espinal's leading off and playing second, and Rymal Tapia, uh, bottom of the order, playing center field. That game goes at 7.07. Ben Wagner will have the call on the Sportsnet Radio Network, and it'll, of course, be on Sportsnet Television as well. Uh, Blair and Barker have Jays Talk post game, so keep an ear out for that and subscribe to the Blue Jays Talk podcast. Um, tomorrow, as a heads up, I'm already canceled. This show will not take place three to five because the Toronto Blue Jays play at three Oh seven. Uh, we'll be here for a two to three pregame show. And then that'll roll over into the Jays game at three. Uh, ben, any bold predictions for tonight? Anyone you, you think matches up well with Kopech or on the other side matches up well with Ryu? Well, I mean, I would just, again, bet against um, the things that are going against math right now. And eventually, like, Vlad is going to go back to get on a, a hot streak, I mm-hmm. suppose. Um, I, w- I, would, I would bet on a, a breakout at some point for him. Uh, I would also, again, like, I, I don't feel good about this, but this really feels like a horrible, horrible matchup for Hunjin Ryu. But, of course, we said that last time he took the mound, and he was able to gut through five innings, and... Um, yeah, the bullpen is still, man, an area of concern for me with this Blue Jays team. And I know Jordan Romano gets yet another save yesterday. He threw, what, two fastballs out of his 15 pitches yesterday? We'd like to see the, the, the normal Jordan Romano if he ends up in a, in a save situation again today. Of course, the Blue Jays would like to keep him away from back-to-backs after he went three straight in the Angels series. But, yeah, they, I think the, the, the bullpen, if I was going to point to something that I was most um, – Curious about, concerned about, wishing Tim Mazur was back. Uh, it would be the uh, the Blue Jays bullpen. Yeah, I'm still I'm fascinated, and I, I talked to Keith Law a little earlier about Adrian Hernandez, who's been missing a ton of bats at, at AAA. I'm fascinated by the element of that Barucky DFA that there's an open 40 man spot now, mm-hmm. and uh, hey, Hernandez is uh, Rule Five eligible after the season anyway, so you're gonna have to put him on that 40 man at some point. But maybe they play the waiver game and. Uh, address it that way. Uh, the Jays are minus 125 favorites tonight. Uh, the over-under is set at eight and a half. If you are looking at, say, a Matt Chapman game, because he's hit hard velocity well, uh, he's at minus 150 for to get a hit. Uh, that's not great value. That's- yeah, I, I like Matt Chapman. Again, I'm going to go with the math. Um, yeah. He's back over the Mendoza line. He's He's had the highest hard hit percentage the hard, highest hard hit rate of his entire career. Yeah, this this guy is due for, you know, a, a week where he hits three to five homers. Yeah, I would love that. Uh, it's also, if you're going down to the game, uh, it's the start of Pride Month. There will be a lot of activations around the stadium and as part of the game ops uh, as far as uh, Pride Month goes. So happy Pride uh, to everyone out there and look for that around the stadium. You guys have John Morosi. Mm-hmm. Coming up at 6.30 on the fan drive time. What else you got for us? Uh, we got uh, Adnan Verk also awesome. uh, at 5.30 who saw Top Gun Maverick, which apparently is, I don't know, it, it, you listen to people talk about it um, in terms that are like godfather in. Like it's like people, oh. <laughs> people, people love this movie. And I think, I think people know what it is, which is not the godfather, but they talk about it as if it's like the greatest movie ever made. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what Adnan has to say about that. And then we'll talk sports. As well. I have not seen that. Um, I meant to ask Keith Law earlier. He recently rewatched all the Bond movies and like ranked them with his wife. Okay. Uh, I didn't get into that with him. I kind of ran out of time. Uh, we're out of time here. 
for Jay's Talk Plus. Ben, you're sticking around. You and Stephen mm-hmm. Brunt have fan drive time next with Adnan Verk and John Morosi. Jay's at 7.07. We'll be back here tomorrow at 2 to tee up a 3.07 start on Jay's Talk Plus. Sports at 590, the fan.